Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen, Eli Rubel, and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today. Um, Natalie, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Episode eight. Welcome back. (laughs) Yes. I'm super pumped. So episode eight of Growing Unicorns, Robin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Robin is the VP of Revenue Marketing over at G2 and just a badass marketer overall. And then Holly, another badass marketer. So just a team of badass here. Uh, Robin, do you want to give a little intro for the group? Sure, I would I would love to. So I am, as you said, VP of Revenue Marketing at G2. Um, by other names, that could be demand gen, growth marketing, whatever. Um, we're the ones responsible for you know, pipeline and revenue targets. Um, I guess I have a long history in kind of B2B and SaaS marketing, but I started way back as a technical writer, actually. So I used to write technical documentation and online help systems. And I used to sit with like product engineering and QA and then um, made the switch to marketing because they found out that I could write. And they were like, wait a minute, um, let's get her over in marketing because she can actually write about like technical subject matter. And then um, there was a short stint where I was with a startup that got acquired by Oracle and I and I was vested. I had some equity, so I bailed out for a while and I opened a clothing store in LA. So that was an interesting like four or five year journey away from B2B marketing. And then I met my husband who owned like a sneaker and streetwear store in LA and we had kids, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I went back to to SaaS um, and B2B marketing. And um, it's been wild. I, I love kind of the higher growth stage companies definitely is my is my happy place more than a company like, let's say, Oracle, um, you know, or 3M or something like that. So that's my jam. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We're so excited. Holly, do you have anything straight out of the gate or we can jump right in on some other topics. I, I noticed this trend of um, companies having uh, CMO and then two main lieutenants. One is revenue marketing, one is product marketing, like mm-hmm. uh, two two VPs who's like one is almost like on the on the numbers and and, and revenue side. One is more on the on the brand uh, and uh, and like uh, communication side. Do you see this trend? Uh, like what? Like if you were to organize a marketing team. Um, what would that organization look like? Probably pretty similar to that. I mean, that's how we're structured at G2. Um, We have Amanda as our CMO. Uh, I think she just hit her six month mark. And then she's hired me and Alina Fu, who's our VP of product marketing and Palmer Hutchins, who's um, our VP of brand and communications. And so we're all relatively new, but um, we're there, you know, each definitely feeling different high-level goals for the organization. And um, I'd say G2 is has really been almost like a product-led uh, marketing team from, from what I've seen in just my three or four months there. Um, they have like a, just a kick-ass squad of, of product marketers who have spent a lot of time 
um, helping figure out what integrations, because, you know, G2 has intent data and it, in it, in it, you know, work connects with all your different sort of tools in your MarTech stack. And I think they've been very focused on that and less so on actually telling the marketplace that they have intent data. So I think a lot of people think of G2 as like, oh, you set up your profile, you you get reviews, you know, hopefully you do pretty well in your category. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll look good in a grid and uh, you can leverage the content and all that stuff. I think a lot of marketers don't know that they offer intent and that there's all these incredible integrations with your stack. And um, I think that's because the product marketing team is probably focused on just like thinking about what to build next and aligning with product on that and hasn't had, you know, a growth team super hyper focused on, you know, telling the story to the marketplace. So um, I think even just seeing, you know, these new hires at G2 indicates that these are kind of the right folks to have in place to, to not only like build the right product and um, be informed by the signals from the marketplace, but also to get the story out there in front of, you know, people that might actually care. And I think before, before I joined uh, G2, I was with Better Cloud, similar things, similar structure where um, strong product marketing team, also super strong demand gen and ABM focused team to make sure that people know um, the right people are finding out and, you know, getting into your database. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is really like fascinating topic. The organization structure is the one of the most uh, like requested topic uh, mm-hmm. when I advise founders. Uh, it's always like, oh, like, it, it, of course, it depends on the uh, stage of the growth. Um, initial, like early stage, who's the first marketer we should hire, but also pretty fast, you know, especially after Series B, Series C is like, how do we scale the team? Um, what are the main pillars that we should put together? And then for later stage companies, it's like, okay, if we have a PLG motion, do we have a PLG growth marketer plus a dimension focused enterprise marketer, like, or do we have one person and how do we think about the relationship between PLG and, uh, um, and, and sales led? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm super curious from Robin, you've worked in uh, tons of organizations uh, in both PLG and sales led, and you uh, consulted, advised uh, tons of companies in the space. Um what would you think about uh, like the evolution of a marketing team uh, at different stages? Mm-hmm. I do think I've seen a lot of, you know, what happens between, let's say, 10 million and 50 million ARR looks like one thing. Um, and then, of course, there's the earlier stage, like, you know, seed seed round and, and series A looks looks different. But then once you get to sort of 10 million ARR to 50 million is when you definitely have product-led marketing teams, but that's when they start to think, how are we going to scale this actually and, and you know, get it into whether it's like, is there some freemium model or something like that where you tend to focus on more like, let's say, growth marketing versus like that whole demand gen motion where you're thinking about acquisition and middle of the funnel and also even expansion. And then from 50 million ARR up to 100 million is where like 
they you start to see like the big guns come in around like demand gen and ABM and um, much more refined focus on like let's stop trying to tell our you know story to everyone and essentially no one <laughs> at the same time and really starting to like grow but um, focus on like smart growth probably from fifty to hundred million depending on what your I guess your exit uh, looks like but um, yeah I think. I think that's kind of how I've seen it. And then in in some of the years where I was just consulting, I was even working with like pre-seed very early startups where, you know, then it's really like, let's just get the lights on, you know, and it and it's funny because in some ways you work with let let's say your tech stack, which is like Marketo and Salesforce and like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars going into this. And and um, but then you you also have an opportunity like I did to work with some companies that are like, hmm, actually, let's just get autopilot or let's just, (laughs) you know, MailChimp for now and let's get unbounced because it's cheap and you can create amazing landing pages all day long or, you know, um, Squarespace. So it's like, I mean, I kind of also love the progression from from the MOPS point of view and the MarTech point of view from like, this is what a tech stack looks like when you're you know, seed round to series A. And then this is what it starts to look like as you, as you grow up and start to scale. Um, Yeah. There's so much I I want to follow (laughs) up with. Uh, (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So I, 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 I've, uh, promise I won't dwell this for too long. Uh, but okay. So I'm a, I'm a series, I'm a series A. I just raised my, you know, five, $10 million series A. Like, I have been growing uh, or organic word of mouth, haven't uh, spent a dollar on marketing. Who should be my first marketing hire or like first marketing team? What what should that look like? Who? So now, so now you're, you're looking to unpack the the product versus uh, growth or demand gen person, I guess. Um, It's kind of like, um, I guess that really depends on, on, on your product, but uh, in what in what it is that you're trying to accomplish, but I suppose um, I can't help it. It's in my DNA to 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 say I would go after the growth marketer for sure, um, because it's often it's often the growth marketer that's also thinking quite a bit about the the product and what's compelling about it and who would be interested and what is the ICP and what is the persona within the ICP, um, and and I think it's harder. I hope uh, product marketers aren't going to watch this and get like super mad, but um, I feel like it's harder to be a product marketer and know all the growth strategies. That's how I feel, especially especially if you're marketing to marketers. If if you have a product that's in the martech space, for example, um, I think your best bet would be to hire a growth or demand gen person because there's no doubt that we won't also know everything about that product and why a marketer would care about it. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, should that growth marketer also figure out the ICPs and the and the messaging? I think in in the early stage, absolutely. I think even in a later stage, if if you have a demand gen team that um, doesn't you know fully understand that, then you know there's just no point. You might as well just pack up. I think that brings up a really interesting point, and I would love to pick everyone's brain on this call. But I think a lot of the founders that I talk to, or just like 
even like CMOs that maybe have come from like bigger orgs is like, what is the difference between a demand marketer or like a growth marketer? Like, do we hire? I think there are some demand gen marketers who are like tried and true, like sales led ABM, large enterprise motions. Um, and they have a hard time being drilled down to like what is growth marketing, at least in my brain, which is the people that are coming up typically from like performance digital marketing side of the world. And then throwing in also like the growth hacker, which to me is like not growth marketing. Like that's almost like product growth. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the times you see even like job postings where it's like, demand gen. And it's like, you're asking for like a growth hacker or, you know, and Holly, I don't know if that's your experience or Robin. Um, but I'd love to hear from you guys, like how in your brains you help, you know, communicate that to people that are trying to understand the main differences. Yeah. I think for me, I, I do think of growth marketing job titles as kind of like, let's focus on this, you know, thing. Let's, let's get more freemium download. Let's get more trials. Let's look in, our database and figure out how we can move this group group of people off of this, you know, version to that version. Um, where to me, demand gen means everything from acquisition to um, even expansion of your of your existing customers. That's kind of how I use it. And like then lead gen would be just one small like part of of that whole of that whole motion. But and and I think that a you know, I guess if I were hiring a demand gen marketer, I would expect that person to come in and really have a complete understanding of all the levers and all the tools in the toolkit and that the job requires aligning with sales and, you know, having the ability to track every stage of the funnel. And if you're kind of on that traditional MQL waterfall situation, like making sure that you're able to track all those funnel stages versus ABM, which might look more like, you know, account engagement and, you know, from unengaged to aware and so on, which is a, which is a different funnel and different set of metrics where as growth folks, and, and actually there's a, a couple of like awesome growth marketers on the G2 team that are on my team are amazing at kind of like looking at, gosh, we have so many people in in the G2 database you could imagine i mean every tech company has a product at least one product listed there but it's like how many of these folks are on like the freemium sort of free version of G2 which everyone can have you can come to G2 set up your profile but the next stage is being able to like customize your profile and put calls to action and content downloads and things like that how do we get these folks from this to this I think is kind of where G2's marketing team has been focused, very internal. Um, and they've been doing an amazing job in hitting their pipeline goals. But now kind of the next phase of our growth is getting out there with kind of a demand gen type focus and an ABM type focus for our larger accounts and figuring out how do we make sure that every like SaaS marketer, every B2B marketer knows that G2 has intent data that, um, it's not just kind of a place where you come to drive more reviews, although that is definitely part of it. But if if you're on a marketing team and you're not using like G2's intent data to power your LinkedIn 
ad advertising or your Slack channel or your um, Marketo instance or Salesforce or Salesloft, where you could be triggering like cadences for your SDR team, all that stuff. Like that's where that's where you start to see like much bigger, you know, swings on your on your dial to hit your pipeline goals. And and that's kind of where we are right now on our team. Yeah, that's 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 a, such a great like a point about when do you think about uh, what to focus on, right? So like in early days, you probably focus a lot on the the self serve uh, freemium upgrade motion, and then after you hit a certain ARR, maybe um, maybe it's like fifty to hundred million that mark. And you say, okay, let's uh, let's really focus on the the enterprise, the the dimension side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you... I, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think that's true. Even mid market to enterprise, and then also you start to look at other things like who's more likely to churn or who's more likely to expand with us, and you start to look at those signals and almost like run demand gen for the, your customers as well as your prospects for sure. At least that's how I think about it. But um, probably there's better ways to think about it out there or different <laughs> ways. <laughs> no, I think it also brings a good like point up about some of the things that I work through is just like a mentality shift from always thinking net new, which mm -hmm. I think is much more growth marketing, where like when you move into the, the demand gen side of the world, it's like, hey, we have all of these low hanging, this low hanging fruit. Like we've already acquired these people. And a lot of the, a lot of the time that growth marketing mentality is like, yeah, but net new, net new versus like, how do we pull these people along the funnel or even like you said, like expansion and retention and that being something yeah. that we're also focusing on. Um, yeah, and and I'm I'm kind of guilty of it myself. I would I used to joke a long time ago. I used to joke like, eh, customers like I I truly don't care. It's like once they sign the deal, eh, it's not yeah. my world. I'm like focused purely on like net new logo, um, and things changed, you know, over time, and we became more sophisticated, and we realized that our communities and our customers are some of the most important, most predictable, um, you know, places we can go to think about revenue than certainly than the net new side. And I wonder if a lot of teams experienced that with COVID in 20, what year was 2020, 2019, 2020, like, um, how could we forget? <laughs> oh man, I, I've like, I don't even know how long it's been anymore, yeah. but I do feel like, especially with like, SaaS companies where COVID hit and it was like, I just don't know how bad this is going to be. Like, are we ever going to sign on new customers again? Um, you know, in some ways that also forced me when I was with Better Cloud to, to really lean in and look at our community and our customer base and like figure out how we can best serve those folks. Like forget about net new business for now, because I have no idea the world is upside down. But how can we like change our focus and make sure that we're being, you know, of service to the to the people that, you know, are using our product and are in our community and things like that. And maybe that also that'd be an interesting thing to look at maybe next year after some more time has passed to see if there's any noticeable shift um, where kind of demand gen marketers who were previously focused on like net new shifted and, and kind of like 
switch their thinking and their funnel and even their goals to include um, customer expansion and, and retention. Yeah. yeah, I almost imagine this two by two. If I think about like bottoms up and then top down, and then I think about like acquisition and retention slash expansion. So it's like in early days, you probably do the the self-serve bottoms up acquisition a lot and depending on your product probably. Mm -hmm. And then like over time, you're probably like, okay, expansion. Like this is what our sales team should focus on. This is like, you know, sales team shouldn't be doing like outbound, pure outbound in the early days because that that's too costly. Um, but over time, your customer base becomes bigger than you like your marketing team and sales team do start to think about uh, like uh, more of an outbound new logo um, acquisition in addition to the self-serve expansion. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder like where is that um, flip start to happen in, in your experience? I, I think it starts to happen around 50 million ARR. That's where yeah. I've seen it start to flip. And and I'm not sure that's kind of off the cuff and I haven't really dug into the data there, but that's what it feels like anecdotally is when is when you start to really it can it can be, let's say, even a little painful as as a growth person or a demand gen person. It's like, oh, how are we gonna wring, you know, more out of our database? We're already like you know, emailing people constantly and we're doing webinars, we're doing all these things. It feels like we've hit, you know, at some point, some kind of diminishing returns and, and you, and it starts to keep you up at night a little bit. And I, I feel like in some ways, that's the moment when you start to really like think about your existing customer base. Um, and you start to think of, Think about like looking at signals of churn more and like what can we do to, you know, for, for G2, for example, I was just on a call before this with um, one of our one of our sales reps. And he was saying, in our case, we see churn happen when the category that they're in isn't isn't getting a ton of traffic or getting a ton of interest. And so G2 does a lot. There's like sort of this buyer side and seller side. I'm on the seller side of G2, but there's a whole buyer side of G2 that's focused on um, organic traffic to these categories and really looking at market signals to see when a category will turn green, when it goes from red to green. And we know that when we have paying customers that are in a green category, um, chances of them churning are pretty dramatically reduced. But if they're in a category that's sort of red or yellow um, and they're not seeing, you know, tons and tons of traffic, they start to question, you know, the value of G2. So you really do start to become more analytical looking at those parts of the funnel and coming up with plans to like, let's actually become be much more intentional about uh, looking at these segments and running campaigns specifically maybe to get more category traffic 
So if, if you are in a marketplace model the way G2 is, that's when you actually actually then have alignment between the seller side of the house and the buyer side of the house. Like what can we do to crank up traffic for different categories, more SEO, SEM focus. Um, there's companies like Captera that actually do a ton of paid advertising at the category level, which G2 doesn't do. All of ours is kind of through organic. So I, I do feel like it's not uncommon for that sort of stage of growth for for people to start looking outside of like what you know the things that we've been doing what else can we be doing and and what are the other ways to to grow revenue that's so fascinating it's like in early days because you pretty much haven't done much of anything so you can pick an category pick a area you already have a lot of room to grow and then when you hit that you know that scale of 50 or 100 million rr like you probably tried a lot of things pretty much mm-hmm. all the things that you know marketers would think about you have already tried mm-hmm. so like where you go from there like and then i think that's when a lot of companies start to differentiate and if you continue to just like optimize uh, and do continue to do what you've been doing, it's going to grow, but it's probably at a, at a more flatter uh, rate versus like, where do you actually find new growth levers or growth loops or like type of like areas to, uh, to leverage your, your growth. That's a, that's a fascinating job at at this scale. Yeah. It, it is. And it's the thing that probably keeps demand gen people really up at night more than anything is, is sure you have all your dashboards and all your reports that tell you what the data looks like, but there's the feeling that that feeling that you get, that's not as tangible. That's like, oh man, I'm just seeing, I'm just seeing less return all around. I'm, you know, I'm just seeing diminishing returns. It's that feeling of like, what haven't we tried? Are we reaching the right people? Where do they go to consume content that I haven't thought of yet? Um, and I, I think it 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 happens. And um, in a case like the company that I came came from before G two, when I joined, it felt like our target audience was IT people. And it's like it seems like, and we know that a lot of IT people don't even know that we exist or that we have this platform that they'd be interested in. And so you start cranking up like the the ad spend and pulling all the levers and you do things like billboard ads, even in subway ads. Like we, we did our first, it was my first out of home campaigns. I had a chance to do there, but um, you know, after a while you do see signs of like your own email outreach, you know, losing steam uh, LinkedIn. I'm, this is a whole other, you know, conversation we could have for another podcast, like when LinkedIn audiences seem to just run their course and the platforms where you can be hyper-targeted by job title, job function, account. It's like, eh, it's not, it's not working. All signs point to it's just not working. Um, you know, what do you, where do you go Next, I, I feel like that's uh that's that's a whole hour or more of like real talk that we could have that feeling of like that feeling in your stomach of like this <laughs> just isn't working. So you leave and you come to G2 where <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where it's like incredible because because um there is this world of like influencer marketing which i think people don't talk a lot about in b2b and and sort of like customer advocacy and things like that which um 
you know, on the G2 side is, is very lucky because you have so many marketing teams sharing their badges and their content. And it's wonderful to be a part of all of that. And I think that even a company, you know, like a better cloud or enterprise type SaaS companies don't really do a ton around like that sort of customer advocacy, evangelism. I think only then you get to massive companies where where they have people that are do like Microsoft has MVPs or you have evangelists that do nothing but go out and really tell that brand story and somewhere in between 50 million and that massive size company, I don't think you you get a lot of companies that um, that spend a lot of time on advocacy or or influencer marketing and that type of thing. What you could be doing with your community, things like that. It's like they get so far as like we have a massive annual event. Come to our massive annual event. It's amazing. But um, and then they'll try to get customers to speak. But after that, there's not really tons that's that's being done around that type of um, that type of influencer, you know, customer advocacy or evangelism. What have you seen some best practices in in doing that? In in doing that, like uh, yeah, influencer marketing, customer advocacy. Like we actually talked, uh, like touch upon this a little bit, Karina, last mm-hmm. time about yeah. like oh Slack groups or um, like. Uh, ambassador programs or referral programs. Um, I wonder what, what Robin, you, you have seen um, the best practices in, in this area. I've seen um, Pendo do a lot of really cool stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not sure how they're organized. I know Joe Chernoff is their CMO. I'm sure he has like amazing ideas and energy, but um, I kind of have a little bit of a, like a brand crush on them and, and some of the advocacy programs they do um, Slack also. And I'll even give a shout out to the company I came from, Better Cloud, has done a, kind of, I think, an amazing job of building their community and really pulling evangelists from their community to speak on behalf of all of IT, which you could think of as like the underdog. You know, there's always the the jokes about like the office and like the IT pro not really being that celebrated. I think they've done a great job of like pulling those those folks out of their community and really elevating them and letting them tell their story, whether they're better cloud users or not, which I think is a really cool um, spin. It's like, we almost don't even care if you're using our product. We're here to like celebrate IT and, um, and we'll pull folks, you know, uncelebrated folks from the community to, to tell those stories. And so they're doing like, I know better cloud does like a podcast now called like, SASOP stories or something like that. And um, they do a blog or they'll have guest guest people from the community come and do blogs and, and shine the light on them and their knowledge a bit. So um, I think things like that are really meaningful. Yeah. I think it falls back onto this idea and kind of hitting on the point that you made earlier, Robin, of like, you eventually hit diminishing returns is like this concept of capturing demand versus creating demand. And I think a lot of the times the go-to-market is like capture everything that's existing. Let's look at intent data. Let's go out there and target the audiences we know will buy fast. And it's very transactional and it's high velocity. And then there hits this point, and I don't know what like the tangible dollar amount or whatever, but in a lot of companies that like I've seen or worked with, it's like, okay, now it's stagnant. The things that were working don't work anymore. And be, that's because there is this diminishing return and I think sometimes as like growth marketers or even demand marketers, we get so like fixated on 
the ROI or the immediate ROI or a more tangible transactional ROI. Mm-hmm. Things like influencer marketing or billboards or like more brand awareness stuff. And Holly, we talked about this, I know a little bit before, like the attribution isn't there and it's not right. like this happened on day one and on day 30, this, this uh, company closed with us. Right. And so yeah. we shy away from that, but I think being able to be a demand marketer, and this also goes back to being able to understand like, what are the levers we can pull that aren't just straight up growth marketing um, that couples with product marketing or like message testing. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and, you know, sometimes even I feel like, and, and, you know, I am comfy in the MarTech stack and, you know, come from like a Marketo background and all that. Those are, that's my comfort zone. So I'm a little outside when it's like, Hey, work on this out of home campaign. It's like, Whoa, how are we going (laughs) to, how are we going to prove the value of that on my Salesforce dashboard? That makes me nervous. But at the same time, it's like super exciting because sometimes I feel like we've over oversteered a little bit, like overcorrect. It's like there needs to be that, you know, that mix between brand marketing where maybe you don't have the the attribution. Although there are things you can do, you know, with with an out of home campaign where you're bringing them back to the community or you're bringing them to a microsite that you set up just for that campaign where you can you know, be fairly certain that traffic is coming from those, those like out of home, you know, ads that you're running and things like that. I guess that's how you can be kind of more tie it back to your attribution model. But, and, and for me, getting a chance to work on campaigns like that is, is like super energizing and kind of like moments that you live for where it's like, oh, we, we can, we can think big and do these incredible things that just help tell our story and get the brand out there so that we create, you know, uh, an affinity that, people want to be a part of like Slack has done so incredibly well. Who would have thought like, Oh, it, here we have like an instant messaging platform for like work. Like we haven't had this, you know, for like 10 years already, but they did an incredible job of making people like almost want to signal, like I use Slack, you know, and, and yeah. you know, that's all brand. Holly, where'd you come from? <laughs> oh, I, I can't take credit on those. So we have a fantastic uh, like uh, product marketing team, event team, uh, brand team, creative team. Uh, there are, yeah, they, <laughs> and like developer marketing, platform marketing, like actually lots of, lots of uh, hard work went into it. And then when there's demand, I just capture them. So I have a like since Robin and Natalie, I know you have your hand up, so I'll bring you in right after this. Um, Robin, I know we wanted to like real talk a little bit and we still have a couple minutes to do that. So I'd love to do that um, because that's just the vision behind this whole podcast, but also real talk. Does it really just come down to having like an executive leader on the marketing side who supports running things that aren't going to be, you know, a hundred percent, like we spent this much and this is exactly how much we got out of it within this time frame, Right. Yeah. I mean, real talk, 100%, like absolutely. And I think, you know, at companies where I've been, where, you know, even at better cloud, it came directly from the CEO had that spirit of like, it. let's, let's, (laughs) let's, you know, we would spin up a campaign that he loved and he'd be like, I I want this on uh, New York city subway. It'd be like, Whoa, 
hold on, like we, we, you know, our website is a mess. If we're going to like crank up the volume like that much where we're going to do like a new, you know, New York subway ad campaign, let's just make sure that our house is in order over here first. But I mean, it was his spirit that kind of like really drove the spirit of the marketing team and the rest of the company to be able to take chances like that. And he wasn't even the head of marketing, but for sure, if your if your founder and CEO is down, then everybody else will be in in your CMO also. Um, and I think you know, working with Amanda at G two definitely she she has that spirit also, and G two just has that kind of momentum where I think we can do a lot of cool things like that. Really, Natalie, you had your hand up. I want to make sure you can ask. Yeah, it's more of a tactical. Um, going back to. Um, uh, influence marketing in B2B space, uh, I was wondering if, uh, and attribution, I was wondering if uh, this uh, approach might work when you have this event with an influencer and they promoting something and they provide the code and you give something for free after. So this way you can see if that specific code would work with the influencer, like a free one-on-one kind of, um, consultation, whatever uh, the product can offer. Yeah, for sure. Especially if you have an attribution model that can kind of support that multi-touch view. Like one one thing I really like would be like a W-shaped attribution model where it's sort of like, here's the thing that sourced the, the lead in the first place. And then here's the touch along the way. And then here's the thing that the last thing they did maybe before they MQL, the last thing they did before they became an opportunity. And that gives you the ability to kind of look at all these different touch points um, along the way and see where you have like direct source to your attribution model and where you have influence. And to like Karina's point about leaders having an appetite for both like, you know, marketing source and marketing influence, I think having an attribution model like that will definitely help support like, you know, certain things you can infer from an out of home campaign or a direct mail send where it's like, we always, you know, if we have, you know, an MQL come in or whatever, we, we do a direct mail send, we send a hoodie or we offer like some sort of like office hours where it's more consultative engagement. Like we can definitely measure where those things happen. I'm not sure if that is totally answering your question, Tell me if it's not, and I can, I can go back and unpack. It makes sense, Robin. You you mentioned the um, the attribution model. How do you actually go about creating one? Mm-hmm. Well, you work with amazing Mops people, of course. Um, I cannot say enough about how important marketing operations is to any modern marketing team. You're you're just dead in the water without them. But um, I've, I've worked with, I've been lucky enough to work with some of the best in the business. And the way I've seen it done most successfully, and I'm sure there's tons of other solutions to this, but would be like visible Marketo Salesforce. And you just kind of decide as a team, well, these are your high level goals. Um, maybe it's marketing source pipeline. Maybe there's some marketing influence stuff. And you just build out whatever attribution model works for you. In the case of Marketo, it works really well to kind of have your whole lead scoring live in Marketo, your your attribution live in Marketo, and then it makes you know reporting in Salesforce pretty 
pretty seamless and beautiful. So um, I can I can show you some some of my dream dashboards from the past. You know, after this, where where we were able to like slice and dice down to the piece of content, like how much you know how much did it source versus how much did it influence um, to the event to to the webinar to the email send. And, uh, and, and really for anybody that's involved in like inbound or content marketing, having that on a dashboard is pretty incredible to be able to see like, well, we invest in all these eBooks. We do this massive annual report. We do case studies, or maybe we set up microsites or we invest a lot in our blog, which isn't even gated. You know, how satisfying is it to be able to see like how your ungated content influences your, your pipeline and revenue? It's incredible. So, you know, get yourself a mops person that, you know, <laughs> that can, that can work magic and, and a demand gen person that understands it. And, and there you have, there you have your dream team. That's so true. Um, like, yeah, data science, marketing ops, uh, marketing analytics is the best friends for this marketers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and, and like, final follow-up and, and you can choose not to answer. So like, so you have all these touch points, right? Like now you, now you track them. Do you say, okay, the first touch point, uh, the last thing before MQI and last thing before opportunity, we give a value of 10 and the rest of it, we give a value of five. Is it like, like that? Yeah. Okay. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. There, therein lies the rocket science. Yeah. Next, we'll be curing cancer. Yeah, yeah. I was like always like, oh, should we give a value of ten or one or like you know any other number? <laughs> so like sometimes yeah. it seems pretty I arbitrary. Think, you know, different. There's there have been like different schools of thought on this going back to like the very early days of marketing automation. I suppose like you know the the W shaped attribution or you know the the last touch, first touch, W-shaped. I, I like W-shaped. Um, and, and that's what I've used in the past through, through like Visible and Marketo. But, um, but yeah, how they wait, you know, kind of first touch, last touch before opportunity is, is kind of, I guess, really depends on, on your goals and your organization and what you're trying to achieve. But that's really all it is. And then figuring out how to weight each of those. Oh, and it's similar with like your lead scoring model, like how, you know, how many web visits do, you know, at what point do you like score someone high enough because they came to your blog and they, and they consumed, you know, this amount of ungated content versus registered for a webinar. It's all, and, and usually I think in most uh, organizations, that's always a work in progress. You're always kind of refining that and stuff. That makes sense. All right. Well, we're like at the end of time, but Robin, thank you so much. I think this has been such a great conversation and everyone else. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah. Um, I learned so much and and I'm so glad we got like a little deeper (laughs) and tactical in in things. And uh, yeah. So like in these conversations, sometimes like uh, we talk strategy, but we also talk about tactics and like how we actually do things. And that, that sometimes is my favorite part. Uh, That's interesting. You should say that that's kind of like a trigger word for me. I'm going to be, now we can have some real talk. Like uh, maybe you want to cut the recording, but like (laughs) one of my least favorite things is being told, like I, I did have a CMO for a little while that would 
say to me, like, you're not strategic enough, Robin, you're not strategic enough. And, and it's kind of, I can still hear it in my head. It like, Ugh. and and it's like, well, that might be true. You know, it really might. I that might not be my like skill set to look at the North Stars or whatever. But, but, but that's not to say I'm not capable. I think a lot of the time, um, especially high growth companies, we are we are looking at quarterly pipeline goals, and that means that you're thinking in quarters of sort of like, what are we going to do this quarter, and how do our themes align to all of our content and everything else we're doing, and product releases. Maybe we have like a super important tier one product release on the roadmap that we have to build into our marketing plan. And so a lot of the, you know, especially higher growth SaaS companies aren't looking that, you know, far out, like one year, two years out, three years out. Some are, many aren't. And, and so that kind of makes it hard to have that, like that, that North star discussion all the time. But, um, I do think it's super important, especially if you are in a, in a, that 50, you know, let's say 10 to 50, 50 to hundred to be able to have those like tactical conversations and actually be connected to what's running. Otherwise I, I think you really are at a disadvantage. So, yeah, I, I mean, there I've, I've exposed my, <laughs> my, my kryptonite is that. Oh, you're yeah. I love that because I like, even with tactics though, real talk, there's no, there's no template. Like there's no, like, and what worked for you in this tactic at this specific company with this specific product and this specific audience, you taking that like very successful tactic and it just taking it over to your company and thinking like, I press the green button, press play, go. Like it doesn't work like that. And even I think from a strategic level, and that's why I love having this so much too, because at any one point in time, it's all relative, but like taking different inputs from different people. And then that's what makes us all badass marketers is that we take all these inputs and then take what we have on our side and, and put them all together. But I think anyone who's like, this is the tried and true way, number one tactic for your X, Y, Z, like it just doesn't work like that. Um, nah. And I think, I think in some ways that's what makes like great kind of like demand gen or growth marketers really good. It's like that ability. It's like, what is the goal? You know, yeah. what is the goal? I'm a simple creature. I'm a one-celled <laughs> animal, you know, put the, put the bowl of food in the corner. I will go to the bowl of food. It's like, you know, whatever it is, I will figure out how to get us there or, yeah. or die trying. Like we will hit those goals one way or the other. And I think, um, who doesn't want that? You know, yeah. show me a person that doesn't want that and I'll show you a liar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Holly, it's your turn. What's your real talk? <laughs> yeah, like uh, I, I would almost like unpack what does uh, not strategic enough mean? That that could mean a lot of different things. <laughs> Holly's like, who was it? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like it could be like uh, stakeholder alignment or it could be um, like a team organization or it could be like um, goal setting uh, or it could be like finding new growth levers. And all of those could be strategic topics or be. like areas. Um, or they could be tactics. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, well, especially if it was in reference to a time frame, like, oh, you don't think far out enough. Yeah. Like also would agree. Cool. We can think that far out. But if you've ever worked at a startup, it's like <laughs> six months. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Again. Everything or, will be different <laughs> in six months. Right. Or, or it's like that same sort of like, we're going to do all ABM. We only want to go after like these accounts. This is it. These are our 100 accounts. And it's like, you sure you really want to like oversteer like that much and, and sort of leave out like the rest of the people that might be interested in what you're selling? Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see how much appetite you have for like absolutely nothing coming into the pipeline, you know? (laughs) All right. I love love this. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, Episode eight. That was a wrap. Please join us next week. Holly, Robin, Natalie, Alper. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, everyone.